If you will turn to me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. We just, we're in a series where we're looking at some foundations. And uh, the last couple of weeks we looked at worship and how everything in our lives were to be done as an act of worship. And we talked about that worship was delighting in God. It was delighting in God. And that all of that, we said, it flowed from our redemption, from our having been bought with a price through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God's own Son. That our delighting in God, our worship of God flows that, that, that from having been saved, from having, as 1 Corinthians 6 says, or do you not know that you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. We've been bought, we've been purchased, redeemed is the word there. And we said that our salvation was primarily about God's glory. We looked last week at, at the fact that, that God did what He did for the glory of His name primarily. Are we benefits of that? Are we recipients of that? Absolutely. Are there blessings? Absolutely. But it's about God's glory. And I wanted us to see that so that you would understand the context that God does everything for His glory and therefore it makes sense that His children would do everything for His glory as well. And today I want to I transition. And we said that, that there were really three, three bins, if you will, or, or three, three tubs or, or, that we're going to put everything in here. And the first one is, is glorifying God. That's through worship. And, and again, we spent two weeks on that. This week it's about, it's about knowing God, and that's through discipleship, through growing. The coming weeks we'll talk about sharing God, and that's evangelism. Matthew 28, 19 talks about, Go therefore, all authority has been given to you. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all men, baptizing, teaching. Interesting, he didn't, just say, he didn't say converts. He said followers, disciples, learners. A disciple at its core was a learner. He's a follower. And that's really what I want to talk about over the, the next few weeks, is that we would be a church that not only worships well and, and rightly. We looked a couple of weeks ago at right worship and wrong worship, but, but that we would be a church where believers are growing, that, that we would not be stagnant, that, that we would not just be okay with where we are spiritually, that, that we would be a church that, that is growing in, in worship of a God who has redeemed us, in delight of a God who has redeemed us, saved us, rescued us as we saw last week in Colossians 1.13 out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ that we, we would grow in that. In our salvation we have been transferred from a kingdom and from the kingdom of rule and rule of Satan into a new kingdom that is ruled by Christ and as followers our citizenship Philippians 3.20 resides in that kingdom. And again we saw that in Colossians 1.13 we have been rescued we have been transformed transferred rather and that naturally leads into that second bin or that second lens that i want us to be a church that sees everything through and that second lens is, is discipleship it's knowing god again john 17 3 we've said from four years ago till today this is eternal life that you may that they may know the one true god and jesus christ whom he sent. It's, it's a relationship. 
I want us to understand, to begin to understand today what, what discipleship is. I want us to understand today that, that discipleship is commanded. It's not optional. Growing up, maturing in faith is not just for people who want to be a pastor. It's not just for somebody who wants to teach seminary. It's not just for, for a few elite. Discipleship, as we'll see today, sanctification, it is commanded for every single believer. You growing into the likeness of your king is commanded. And I want us to understand that. I want us to understand why. And next week we'll, we'll get into more specifics about, about what that will cost. And that will naturally lead into evangelism. But again, discipleship is not optional. Growing up in your faith is not optional for a believer or a follower of Christ. The, the, the reason we were saved, discipleship points back to that, that we would be reflectors of God's glory, that we would reflect the image of God. You go all the way back to Genesis 1, he, he, we're image bearers, image bearers. We're to reflect the glory and the greatness of our King. And what I want to do today is to look at this through the lens, through the biblical truth of sanctification. Again, that's a big word, but, the, but sanctification. The call to sanctification really in the New Testament forms the framework, the basis, if you will, uh, for that discipleship, what he's called us to. It, it speaks to the how and the why that we follow Christ and what happens when we do, that, that we are still following Christ, even as believers. And as we follow, we are changed into His likeness. We're changed into His likeness. And all of this, again, the point is this, that we would indeed reflect our King. That we would be reflectors of our Maker, of our King. Through everything that we do, everything that we say, everything we are, that we would be reflectors of that. And so, again, the, the main point you see on your handout today, the main point, all of that flows into discipleship. It flows into following Christ. But I want, to see, I want us to see why. And the main point is this. Sanctification is commanded for every follower of Christ. Every follower of Christ. If you don't hear anything else, please hear that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are commanded to, follow, to be following and to grow into that in that relationship. Sanctification. You are commanded to become more and more like Him every single moment of every single day. That's your goal. And that's really why I picked 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Look, look at it with me. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a pretty easy verse to break down. That's a pretty easy verse to understand. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, he goes on to explain... That you abstain from sexual morality, verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles do, who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the manner because of the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we are also told you before and solemnly warned you. Listen to verse 7. For God has not called you for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Again, he's reiterating what he said in verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. For God has not called you for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. 
And look at verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but you are rejecting, rejecting the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. That's about as clear a clear a passage as you can get. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So I want to answer a couple of questions that you see on your handout there regarding sanctification. And, and the first one, the first one is this: What is sanctification? What is sanctification? That, that's a good place to start. So we all have the same we all have the same working definition. We're all working from the same point. We all have the same reference point. Sanctification is in its simplest form, just you on your handout. It literally means to be set apart. To be set apart. The Greek word is, is hagiosmos, and, and we get words like saint from that word. We get our word holy from that word. We get holiness from that word. Same root word, saint, holy, holiness, hagiosmos, to be set apart. And is a huge, that is a huge word for us as followers. And as you look at the New Testament, the New Testament presents that in three, in three different ways. And, and I want us to be clear on these as we move forward. The three, three different ways, because I believe we get these confused. And, and I believe when we get a misunderstanding of these, that it, that it leads to trouble in our lives. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like we need to know where we are. If somebody called you today and said, hey, Chris, I'm lost. The first question you would ask him is this, where are you? There's got to be a reference point. If you're lost, in order for me to tell you how to get to where you need to be, you need to know where you are. And, and so I want to I I go through the three aspects, really, you see uh, regarding sanctification uh, that you see in the Bible and, and help us to see how these three tie together, but also so that we understand where we are so we know what's next. And, and the the first one there you see in your handout is positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. And then we're going to use some big words today, but, but we, need to, we need to grow up and we need to be able to use these big words. Positional sanctification. What this refers to is this. This is every believer standing before God as a believer in Jesus Christ based upon your belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your repentance of your sin, of your, uh, of your allegiance to Him as King. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. Declared righteous. So sometimes, in, in, especially in Romans, the, the word there is justification. Sometimes you see on your handout there, it's referred to as justification. It, it's as it just as, you've heard the definition, just as if I had never sinned. He declares that position upon you. Righteousness is a big deal. You look at Roman, uh, Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, If your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It was more than an external righteousness. It was more than just doing good. It was more than just doing the right things. It was a positional place before God. Through faith in Christ, you're declared righteous. You are positionally sanctified. And, and that position is a forever position. It's secure. Literally, literally you are not guilty before God. And, and we see this in 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 20 and 21, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though we were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen to what he says. 
Verse 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, so in, in a grand sense, salvation is me repenting of my sin, me, me giving, giving over my sin, and God giving me righteousness. It's a declared position. Christ took our sin, we receive His righteousness. Again, it's more than just about being good. It's more than just cleaning up. It, righteousness, if you want to think about that word, think about this, perfection. Jesus himself said, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The reality is, is, is 99 out of 100 won't do. It won't do. That, that makes for a good student in school when your child comes home and says, hey, I got 99 out of 100 right. That's good. The problem with salvation is that's fail. It's a pass-fail. 99 out of 100 is this, totally unrighteous. Totally unrighteous. Totally unworthy of the kingdom of God. It's not a, hey, I'm... 99 out of 100 is fail. That's why Jesus said, unless you... That would have been the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have externally looked real righteous. They would have been the 99 out of 100. And Jesus says this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a declared position. It's interesting. When you look, at the, when you look throughout the New Testament, believers were commonly referred to as saints. When, when Paul or others would begin their letters, they would say, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints here. Interesting. Interesting, even 1 Corinthians, the most carnal, some of the most carnal Christians you'll read about in the New Testament. You know how Paul begins that? To the saints. To the saints. It was, it was a declared position. It is a status. It's a, it's a status that God gives you, He grants you by grace through faith when you are truly saved. It is a declared position God now sees you when he looks at Chris Basham Chris Basham's faith is in Christ when he looks at me he looks at me through his son his son's blood has covered all of my sins as we sang this morning washed them white as snow Psalm 10 I think it's 103 12 he has separated them from me as far as the east is from the west it is like a judge declaring you not guilty not guilty why? Because all of the guilt due to my sin and your sin was put on Jesus Christ. Therefore, God can be a just judge and He can rightly forgive you. Why? Because He didn't just brush your sin under the mat. He didn't just act like you hadn't sinned. He didn't just, well, you know, you, you, did, you just messed up a couple of times. No, His wrath was poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ. So that His wrath would not, could not, if you place your faith in Christ, His wrath would not fall on you. Wrath, not just kind of. This isn't just what I do to, my, to get my son's attention. You take away the iPad for a few days. Wrath. Now, he probably thinks that's wrath. But, but again, God's hatred towards sin required that he crucify his own son so that, he could, so that those who would believe upon Jesus Christ could be saved. Again, Colossians 1.13, we saw it last week. He says he has, transfer, he has rescued us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We as believers have been rescued. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light that is ruled by Christ. He's the king. It is a total status change. It, it, is, it is like, um, it, it's adoption. The picture, that's why the Bible portrays it as adoption. One second before that adoption was final, the, there's a status that exists for that child. And then the very moment that document is signed, I've been to those meetings in the courthouse where a judge signs the order and literally declares who was not your son or your daughter to be your son or daughter just like that. Irrevocable. Complete status change. That's positional sanctification. He, Hebrews, Hebrews 10 says, let me flip over, Hebrews 10, 10, just to, to show the, the point, he says, by, by this, Hebrews 10, 10, by this will we have become, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Been sanctified. It is a position. Look at verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. It's a position. But, but there is more, and this is where we get confused. There, there's, there's more to this term than just our declared position. We can't stop there. It, it is a totally secure position. It is who you are. You have been declared righteous, declared sanctified. And yet, there's more to this term because not only is it a positional sanctification, there's an experiential sanctification. Positional sanctification would kind of be where you are. It's the R stage. You, 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 you're, you reside there. And yet, there's an experiential sanctification. Uh, look, a positional, positionally before Christ, that is secure. It is done. But yet, experientially your sanctification may fluctuate because this relates to our daily walk with Christ. This relates to how obedient we are to Christ. How much of our lives are we, are we laying down for Christ? This is, this is where sin gets in. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, listen to what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and your soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to go to 1 John 2, he talks about to, to conduct your life in such a way that you do not shrink back in shame at the coming of the Lord. You, you look all throughout the, the Gospels. It's, 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 what do you, it's the parable of talents. What are you doing with the, 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 the life, the, the eternal life that you've been given, how are you stewarding it? That's experiential sanctification. What Paul is saying is that his prayer was that the believers would fully experience what it is like to be called a child of God. To fully experience. And how do you do that? By obedience. You do that by submitting yourself to the king. You do that by understanding positionally you have been sanctified, and yet... You're to pursue it. That, that's why Peter in 1 Peter 1.16, he says, Therefore, just as your Father is holy, 
be holy. He's quoting Leviticus 11.44 there. It's never changed Old Testament, New Testament. God's demand is this, holiness. Holiness. In Christ, He has declared you holy, and yet practically, you're not holy. That's the challenge. And see, so many of us believers, is why I'm breaking this down, is so many of us as believers stop at positional sanctification and forget that we are to pursue the same holiness that, that has been declared over us. We're to pursue that holiness. That's why Romans 6.13, listen to what Paul says in, in Romans 6.13. He says, there, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you may obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but grace. You see what Paul is saying? You've been declared righteous. Present your members, present your life to that righteousness. To that king. It's the same thing Paul says in Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to be God. For this is your spiritual service of worship. When you, to respond to redemption, to respond to grace, to respond rightly, is to present your whole self to God. That you would experience what it is like to be a child of God. Again, think about marriage. We, we illustrated this, and, and God in His wisdom designed marriage. It's the perfect illustration. Think about this. On June 28, 2003, I got married. Guess what? The moment that pastor said, I declare you husband and wife, instant status change. Instant. Permanent status change. Okay? The, but yet... Even though I'm married, my enjoyment of the experience of being married, guess what it does? It fluctuates on, my, on how, well I'm, how well or well not I'm being a husband. Agreed? How, how much I'm trying to honor and live according to the Word of God, honor my wife. Your experience as a married person, your status doesn't change, but your experience of that being married changes. Does that make sense? It's based on what? Based on your obedience. See, if, if you, even though you're married, if you live like you're not married and you live for yourself and neglect the one flesh, you don't enjoy the experience of being married. Your status didn't change, but your experience of being married changed. See, that's the, I am declared righteous and yet my enjoyment of that is, is it fluctuates, again, based on whether I'm presenting myself to God or whether I'm presenting myself to sin, whether I'm presenting myself to the Word or whether I'm presenting myself to the world. That's, that's the problem in Christianity. That's our battle. And even though our status has changed, the title has changed, just like my title, I now bear the husband title, Karen bears the husband wife, that doesn't mean I go live and do whatever I want to do and just say, well, I've got a new title. No, no, I live up according to the title that has been declared over me. That's Christianity. That's experiential sanctification. I'm living according to the title that God has graciously bestowed upon me. And you think about it, think about it. 
You, we see it in jobs. You see, this is another illustration. I'm just thinking about this out loud, so if, it doesn't, if, it's, if it's wrong, forgive me. But you put a title on somebody. They went from, let's say they went from a worker on the line to now they're the supervisor of the line. You know what changed? All that changed was a title, but guess what? His behavior changes. His focus changes. The way he approaches it changes. Why? Because he's got a new title. Christian, you've been given a title. Child, righteous, redeemed, justified, heir. Christianity is pursuing that title, practically that which God has already declared over us. And the first stage was the R stage, if you will. The, the second stage is the R being stage. You're being conformed. Christianity, is a, we'll see it in a moment, it's a process of conforming my life to that which God has declared over me. But there's a third stage. And the third stage is ultimate sanctification. Sometimes in your Bible, this is referred to as glorification. Glorification. If you were to go to Romans 8, Paul, Paul lays out this whole process and he says, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. That's the Christian life. Conforming our lives to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen, and those whom he predestined, he called. Though these whom he called, he justified. These whom he justified, he glorified. If you were to dig into the Greek there, that is an un... Paul is presenting an unbreakable sequence. What he's saying is this. God has already put the deposit in your account. You're glorified. It's, it's a guarantee. You're going to get there by the grace of God. If you look, at, you look at Ephesians 5, he says that through the washing of the word, that he would present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. Perfection. Glorification, you think about perfection. One day, one day, this body of sin and death is going to be done away with, and I will have a perfect body. No more sin. No more crying. No more none of that. That's glorification. And, and it is an unbreakable guarantee. Literally, literally, listen to me, believer. In God's eyes, He already sees you as glorified. It's like this. My parents, will, my parents are both retired, and, and they travel a lot. And, and my mom sometimes will say to me, y'all, we're just wearing out your inheritance. Listen to me, and here's the point I'm making. It's a future thing, but you know what in my mom and dad's eyes? It's a done deal. I'm an only child. Some of you are thinking that explains a lot. I'm an only child. Whatever's left is coming to me. Now, at the rate they're traveling, there ain't a whole lot left. I keep telling them, y'all got to put the brakes on this. I got to retire. I mean, eventually, I got to provide for Karen after the kids are gone. I'm depending on you. No, but the point is, you see it, because, I, because I'm their son, the, the fact that I'm getting the inheritance, it's a done deal. Why? Because of my title. Son. Because, because as believers in Jesus Christ, if we truly have repented of our sin and we are truly trusting Jesus Christ, as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourselves, is Christ in you unless indeed you fail the test? As a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, the inheritance is guaranteed. 
It's guaranteed. Ultimate sanctification. And, and you could refer to this one as the will be stage. One day we will be completely what we have been declared to be. And the question is, the question is this, and you see it as number two on your handout. If our status can't change, and this is the question I get sometimes from people who, who are not understanding well. They're, they're just immature. I'm not trying to, and they're just in their immaturity. Sometimes we ask these questions. If, if, if my status can't change before God, and one day I'm guaranteed to be glorified, it's like what they asked in Romans 6. Well, then we'll, we'll just live however we want to live, and to God be the glory. That's the wrong question. That's the, that's the wrong conclusion. And you see on number two, why are we commanded? The question I want to answer for us next is, why are we commanded to be sanctified if we are already seen that way and one day we will fully be that way? Then why? Why, why the dying to self? Why the crucified to self? Why the persecution? Why do we stand firm under persecution? And, and I want to answer that. And that's what Paul is addressing in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. In between having been declared righteous and the fact that we're going to be fully experiencing righteousness, what about the in-between? And that's what Paul is speaking to. It's the here and now. It's where all of us live right now. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. In between who we have been declared to be and who we will fully be one day, that's where the Christian life is lived. How do we live in between those two spots? That's what Paul is getting at in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And he says... This is the will of God, your sanctification. That you would know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. For God, as verse 7, has not called you for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Our salvation does not end at praying a prayer or filling out a card or walking an aisle. It begins there. It begins there. It's not about simply becoming a Christian in that sense. That's good, but God wants to grow you. He's to use you. You're, you're to grow. Our walk begins there. Our, our salvation and what God has called us to is a lifelong process of following Him. Of, of what we'll see is spiritually growing up into maturity that which He has declared over us. And, and I hear a, a, a lot of questions. People say, well... You know, argument and questions over the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. First Thessalonians four three puts that very makes it very clear here. The will of God for your life is your sanctification, that you would grow up in respects to your salvation, that you would more and more become every day who you one day fully will be. And and listen, it's not about what car you drive. It's not about where to live. It's not about what to wear. It's not about what job to take. Listen, we have freedom to make those choices. And we're commanded to choose wisely. But the primary issue for a follower of Christ is sanctification. Why? Because as I mature in Christ, guess what happens to all those other issues? They go by the wayside. The reason we struggle with all these other issues is because of immaturity. We don't really know the king. And we don't reflect the king. And we don't think like the king. And we don't live like the king. Therefore, when we have to act on behalf of the king, oh, what do I do? It's like going to buy a gift for somebody that you don't know very well. That's a tough deal. You don't know what to buy. Why? Because you don't know them that well. Sanctification is getting to know well the king that has saved you. It's growing up in that. 
Listen, again, until we grow up and take on the heart of the king, we're going to struggle representing the king. And, and Christianity is about who we are. And when God gets a hold of the who we are and hold of the inside, guess what? If I fill a cup up with pure water and I pour the cup out, the only thing that comes out of that cup is pure water. See, when, 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 we're, when we're in love with the king and we're pursuing the king and we're growing up in respect to the king and maturity and our salvation, you, we start to make mature Christian decisions. We start to make decisions that reflect the glory of the king, not the glory of the flesh. And the issue here, the actions and our actions flow. Again, why do kids behave the way they do? Because they are immature. Immature. And you and I as Christians, the second we become believers, guess what? The Bible talks about being born again. We are immature. We have been set apart by God to be His reflector, His image bearer, His representative, His ambassador. Listen, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, that's our job. Christianity and discipleship and sanctification is growing up to understand that. L listen to 2 Corinthians 1.21, what Paul says. He says, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God has also sealed us and gave us the Spirit as our hearts as a pledge, you have been set apart, he says, by God to reflect his glory in a dark world. Set apart to be a reflector of the greatness of our king. To be a representative, it's Genesis 1, to be an image bearer. In, in, in ancient days, when an army would go into a land, they, before, at the beginning of that army, they would have a picture of their sovereign. And it represented that he reigned wherever that army went. Literally, God is, God's desire is that he would have millions of little image bearers running around, claiming territories for the king. And, and, and I, I thought about how to illustrate this whole idea so we can get it. And I thought about this. Suppose God, had, we saw in Colossians, God has taken us out of one kingdom placed us in another kingdom. Suppose you moved to a foreign country tomorrow. You wouldn't know the language. You wouldn't know the customs, the laws. I mean, suppose your boss called you on a spur of the moment, just said, hey, guess what? I'm sending you to Bolivia. Well, I don't even know where Bolivia is. What language they speak, what the customs are, what the laws are, what the rules are. You, you would know nothing about this new kingdom or this new country that you were residing in. And if you moved to a foreign country, it would take you time to acclimate, to learn the language, the customs, to learn the rules, to learn how things operate, to learn what is important, to learn what's not as important. And that would be a process. You would mature as a resident of that country or that kingdom. And what you would learn is to be reflective of that kingdom. And sanctification, trying to, trying to help us understand it, is the process where we as followers learn the kingdom ethic of the new kingdom with which God has placed us. We learn to reflect the king. We learn the king's heart. We learn the king's desires. We learn a new language. We learn a new objective. We learn a new purpose. It's growing up to represent the king where he's placed us. 
literally like living in a foreign land. Why? Because you're immature. You're a baby. All you've known is flesh. Now as a Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you. Romans 8 says now you can crucify the flesh and you chase after the king. You do not present the members of your body to sin. You present them to God as slaves. And sanctification is the process of growing up. It's the process of getting to know your king and his kingdom agenda and yielding more and more of your life to that kingdom agenda. That's sanctification. It's literally like learning to live as a foreigner in a new land. Ironically, the Bible says to live as aliens. Ironic. This isn't our home. It's not our home. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We're living in between what we've been declared and what we will be one day. And you know, in the meantime... God says, go fight a battle and claim as much territory as you can for my kingdom. Represent me wherever you are, whatever you do, wherever you go to school, whoever you hang out with, whatever job you have, whatever sports you play, take that kingdom for Christ. Claim that for Christ. That's sanctification. Literally a millions of soldiers all over the world claiming territories for Christ. And those territories look like people. People. And sanctification, you see on your handout, is the process where a follower of Christ becomes more and more like Christ. It's literally growing up. It's maturity. We don't become Christ. We don't, I mean, we don't become followers of Christ. And then you just stick a, a uh, whatever those things are. I'm not a tech guy. Whatever those little files you stick into your computer and it boots all the data immediately to your computer. Uh, that'd be great. If you became a Christ here, hold on one second. Let me download the Bible into your heart. It's a day-by-day process. We're, we're born again. We're babies. Look, look, look at, quickly at some verses. Second, 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. You can write these down for the sake of time. I'm going to run through these quickly. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander... Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Grow. We're to grow. How do we grow? What is our Just like you give your baby food, the food that we grow up on is the word. This is Matthew 4, 4. Man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In, in 2 Peter 1, 3-11, he says, Seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us, he talks about all these promises. He says, Now with all diligence, add to your faith. And he goes through this list, and look what he says in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that means growing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Grow. The, uh, the object is to grow. It's to grow up into that which you've been declared. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 14, we read it. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who were sanctified. We are in the process of being sanctified, he goes on to say. It's a process. 1 Thessalonians 
3.10, he says the, the, the same thing, just to, to overly make the point maybe. But First Thess 3.10, listen to what he says. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Talk about growth. Now may our God and the Father himself, Jesus, direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another, and for all people just as we do you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness. Grow up. If you looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18, you, you would see the same thing. It's a, a process of, of growing up. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord to the Spirit. Transformed. It's a process. And sanctification is dealing with how we live before God as His children. How do we live before God as His children? That's why we have the commands in Scripture to guide us. Again, Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It guides us. Literally, this is the heart of the king, John 1. No one, has seen the, no one has seen the Father but Him, the glory of the only begotten. He has revealed Him. You know what God is like? Look to Jesus. You know what God desires? Look to the Word. You know what God hates? Look to the Word. You, know what, you want to know what God wants you to pursue with your life? Look to the Word. And, and same thing in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14. And following, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ of God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other from life to life. And who is adequate for these? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Grow. It's growth. Sanctification is a process where God is, is practically transforming me into his likeness. It's John 3.30. John said, less of Christ, I mean, less of me, more of Christ. He says, he must, I'll get to it in a minute. He must increase, I must decrease. That, that's the Christian life. I, I read this week a, cross, a quote that said this. Sanctification is becoming more and more dead to sin and more and more alive to Christ. That's a pretty good definition. Sanctification really, literally, is, learn, is putting the taste of sin out of our mouths and the, t- and, and the taste of Christ in our mouths. It's, it's tasting and seeing that the Lord of good is good. It's Jeremiah 15, 16. I think it's Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words became food. And I ate them. It's it's learning, as we saw last couple weeks, to delight. It's learning the character of our king and learning that that we we are to delight in him. Because whom do we have in heaven beside him? And everything we do here is about growing. When I preach, my heart is to preach in a way that you grow. When you leave here and you go to small groups, the objective there, the objective in those small groups is to continue to grow. They, they literally are groups to grow, grow groups. And, and to miss those, you're missing an opportunity to grow. The sanctification is, again, it's, it's me 
becoming more and more like my king. And, and that's the goal. I want that to be the goal of this church. And the next question to close real quick, if, that, if, if that's that, then the next question is this. How does sanctification take place in a follower's life? And the Bible is very clear that, that listen to me, you're in for a battle. It's going to be through a war. You have an adversary who 1 Peter 5 says he prowls around like a roaring lion. John 10 says he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And listen to me. Believer, he cannot steal your salvation. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to steal the joy of your salvation. He wants to steal the experience of being saved, the experience of being a child of the king. And if he can't get you unsaved, which he cannot, you know what he's going to try to do? He's going to get you to buy a bunch of lies about yourself and others and ruin your experience, try to ruin your experience as a Christian. And, and all throughout Scripture, we see that, that it is a battle. L listen to what 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul writes, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. He's a schemer. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your, disobedience, whenever your obedience is complete. It, it literally is, again... Romans 12, transforming your mind. And we live in a world that's trying to put a whole bunch of lies out there that, oh, gender is just a social construct. It's no, there's no design or order about it. It's a social construct. Well, you can marry whoever you want. You can be whoever you want. If you want to be a boy, be a boy. If you want to be a girl, be a... Listen, that works if there was no God who revealed in His Word that in, his, in the beginning He created them male and female. Male and female, He created them. So to say to yourself, I can be who I want to be, is to say to God that you made a mistake in making me who you made me to be. Listen, that, that sounds awesome to my flesh. Be who you want to be. That sounds awesome to my flesh. The problem is, is that's lies. You know, the world will tell us that these people that are these sinners, again, and, and, and they're not able to please God because they're, they're sinners. The middle of Romans 8 is clear about that. That's why we go to them with the gospel. But... The world would put forth that these are the happiest people in the world. Listen to me. Statistics show that the highest rates of suicide are among the homosexual and the transgender community. They're not happy. The happiest people in the world ought to be the ones that are living for the Lord. We ought to be the happiest people in the world. The most content, satisfied that's the message, not, not, that's the message that we go with. You look, you're looking for happiness and you're looking for fulfillment in all, just like you and I have done in sin. Looking for happiness in all the wrong places and happiness is found in a king. And being called a child of the king. That's happiness. Joy, if you will. If you don't like happiness, joy. And, but there's a battle. Satan wants to destroy that. He wants to rob that. 
And listen to me, becoming more and more like Christ every day is a battle. It is a battle. It's a battle. Paul himself, and I don't want to abuse Romans 7, but Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. I mean, is that not some of, that's, that's the way I feel some days. Oh, wretched man that I am, 724, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? But praise be to God Jesus who does that. He does that. And disciples, listen to me. Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants me to be my disciple, you know what he says, must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's a battle. Because when my feet hit the ground in the morning and my flesh, I want to live for Chris. And the word of God says, no, you live for Christ. And disciples, listen to me, it's a battle. Disciples are made by followers of, and I think I grammatically, that's grammatically, that sentence I put in there was wrong. I edited it later, but... They are made by followers of Christ, prioritizing Christ's lordship and God's word over everything else in this world. It's prioritizing the agenda of the king. And, and again, the, it's not automatic. What I'm trying to tell us, and I'm close here real quick. Y'all, y'all said all those nice things about me, so don't muzzle the ox. Y'all wasted my time. I did not know that was happening, or I would have, well, maybe not, but I would have tried to. <laughs> Hebrews 5.11, listen. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. He's writing to believers. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Do you see it? But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I, I don't mean for all of my, I don't mean for illustrations to end up going back to sports, but, but the Bible itself uses sports a lot as illustrations. You don't become a phenomenal athlete on accident, you train, plan neglect. You, you have an objective in mind, and anything that doesn't support that objective, you, you, you squash, you throw it away. That's what Paul says, taking every thought captive. If it doesn't line up with the word, you throw it out. You know, Matt Hewitt over there did not become a professional tennis player on accident. It was work. You, you don't grow up and become conformed to the image of God and be used by accident. Again, 1 Peter 2, it says... The milk of the word, neglecting this word, you're, we're killing ourselves. We're killing ourselves in our growth. Just like a child, you rob a child of food, you stun his growth, and he's malnourished, and you kill him. You rob yourself of this word, you're killing yourself as a Christian. You rob yourself of, 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 of the gathering here together, the prioritizing of meeting together, you're killing yourself as a Christian. And through the, study of, through the study and the intake of God's word, of submitting ourselves, you see it on a handout. God begins to transform our minds. We start to think like our king. He transforms our affections. We start to love like our king. We love what God loves and we hate what he hates. He transforms our actions. People start seeing the king, our king through us. Transforms our relationships. 
I mean, we have a couple that's sitting in here right now whose neighbors, and I don't want to embarrass them, so I won't name them. Their neighbors approached them and said this, I want the marriage that you have. What's the deal? How about that? How about that? I want the marriage you have. What's the deal? Guess what? They sit in a Bible study with them weekly because of that. Here's the answer. Let me introduce you to Christ. Let me introduce you to Christ. That's the answer. Luke 6 says this. Luke 6 verse 40. A disciple or a pupil is not like his teacher. But when he has been fully trained, he will be like his teacher. What we do here, what we do at 11 o'clock, what we do with your kids, your students, we're trying to train. We're trying to train. And just like anything else, listen to me, real vulnerable here. If this is the only time you're being trained, you're not going to mature. No more than if, if, you, if you just tried to, you know, we, we have this hitting net in our garage. We got, Bradley's been asking me, and we got it yesterday, and, and, and it's a golf net. And Bradley can hit balls into this golf net. Bradley, he wants to step up there, and he wants to hit them perfect every time. And Bradley, you're going to have to train. You're going to have to do this every day. And we as Christians, we want to be used, and we want to be this and that, but guess what? We deprive ourselves of the very source of food and nourishment. I, I, I'll be the first to tell you, I mean, I appreciate all the nice things you say about me, but the more and more I read this word, you know what I realize? The more and more sin I have. The more and more I don't look like this word. It's like, a, and, and listen to me, it's like a mirror. I thought about this and I'll close. I, I, I can be real pretty from a mirror if it's far enough away. Like, if you put the mirror far enough, man, ooh, look at that dude. You know why? Because I don't, I don't notice all the blemishes. I don't notice the nose hairs or the out-of-place hairs or the sunspots or all these things. You stay far away from this word, you know what you're going to think? You're going to think, you know, I'm doing all right. But guess what happens when you get close to the mirror? You start noticing stuff. You start noticing stuff about your life that you didn't notice when you were a long ways away. And that can be humbling, but it's good. That's why Ephesians, I mean Hebrews 4, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to pierce both joint and marrow. The Word there is like a little dagger, like a little surgeon going in and taking out a, a cancer here and a cancer there. And a, I, I went to the, the dermatologist and they sprayed this ice-cold stuff on top of my head because I don't have a lot of coverage up there if you've noticed. And it's exposed. You know what? Because if you don't leave that stuff alone, it'll kill you. And, and coming to this word is like coming to the surgeon and saying, God, do work. Make me like you. Perform surgery on me that I would look like you. And I, I pray that that's the church we would be. Not that we will be perfect, and Paul deals with that in, in Philippians 3, 12. Not that I've obtained it, but I press on. I, I pray that we would continue to be a church where more and more every day we, we desire perfection we're never okay with our sin and we're gracious with one another in that process so my question to you to, to leave here is this are you growing do you look more like christ today than you did a month ago two months ago six months ago a year ago or maybe have those waters kind of become stagnant 
Maybe you're resting on last year's devotional life to try to feed you this year. Man does not live on bread alone. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. You don't live today off of last month's food, physically or spiritually. At the best, you'll be weak. Where are you? I I pray that we would be a church, a group of believers who seek after maturity at all costs.